Warning, the Not Real Art Podcast is intended for creative audiences only. The Not Real Art Podcast celebrates creativity and creative culture worldwide. It contains material that is fresh, fun and inspiring and is not suitable for boring old art snobs. Now, let's get started and enjoy the show. Greetings and salutations, my creative brothers and sisters. Welcome to Not Real Art, the podcast where we talk to the world's most creative people. I am your host, faithful, trusty, loyal, tireless host, Sourdough, coming at you from Crew West Studio in Los Angeles. Man, do we have a great show for you today. The one and only Andrew Hosner from ThinkSpace Gallery here in Los Angeles. And if you don't know about ThinkSpace, you're about to. ThinkSpace is the place for new contemporary art here in Los Angeles and actually internationally. I mean, these guys work all over the world. And Andrew uh, is doing some incredible work around the world uh, and with museums and other institutions, helping them work with his incredible stable of artists and helping curate shows that really connect with people. And so stay tuned because we're going to hear from Andrew. Andrew has to be one of the nicest guys in the game, a fellow Midwesterner. And I think that says a lot about why he and I get along so well. But before we get into our conversation, I want to thank you for tuning in. We do this for you. It's all about you. If you weren't here, I'd just be talking to a microphone and that would just be weird. So really grateful that you tuned in to, I don't know, the 200 and something something episode of Not Real Art. So thanks for being here today. As always, I want to encourage you to go to notrealart.com, our website, check out all the good, healthy stuff we got for you. We're always posting new exciting content featuring amazing artists from around the country and the world. We have some incredible exhibitions up there now. Please be sure to check out our newest expedition. Also, if you are an artist and you are applying for grants, our 2024 Artist Grant is now open for submission. So please be sure to submit to win $2,000 and thousands more in PR marketing support. So submissions are open until January 1st, but get in there now and submit today so you can, you can't win if you don't play. So get in there and submit. But yeah, a lot of great stuff for you there. Um, Also want to let you know to check out the new remote series that we're producing with Veneer McCleary, some incredible storytelling there around public art in this country and around the world. So Veneer does an amazing job shining a light on public art, you know, around the country and the world. First episode is about, you know, the Desert X program. The second episode is about Philadelphia and the public art there in Philly. So anyway, definitely check out the remote series from Badir. He's doing a killer job. All right. Without further ado, we need to talk about Think Space. We need to talk about Andrew. I'll tell you what. As I said earlier, Andrew's one of the nicest guys in the game as head curator and head of sales and marketing, co-owner of ThinkSpace. You know, I just love talking to Andrew, just down to earth and just so passionate and so sweet and kind. He used to come through our old gallery, Crew West Gallery, and bought some of our artists and, and art uh, back in the day when Man One, LA OG writer and artist, uh, Man One, and my business partner 
had the gallery. Andrew was a loyal patron of our gallery as well. So it's just great to have Andrew back on the podcast. I'll always say back on. This is his inaugural appearance here. So hopefully he'll come back on and do it again. But I know I love talking to Andrew. It was great. He's so damn busy for him to take time, you know, being very generous to come through and sit down and talk about all the great stuff that ThinkSpace is doing. ThinkSpace is, I mean, these guys are blowing up. I mean, each time they move, they double in size. Their new space is incredible. And, you know, indoor, outdoor space and their programming is off the charts. Of course, you know, Google them, thinkspaceprojects.com to learn more. But, you know, without further ado, let's get into this. Let's get into the conversation. Stop hearing me ramble. Let's get into this wonderful chat I had with the one and only Andrew Hosner from ThinkSpace Gallery. Here we go. Man, do we have a VIP in the house today. We have the one and only Andrew Hosner from ThinkSpace LA. Andrew, welcome to the show. Hey, nice to see you. Man, it's great to be together, man. So it looks like, are you in your home office or is that the office at the new space there? Where are you at? Uh, the gallery office, which has slowly become like inundated with our personal collection as well. Absolutely. Absolutely, man. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. You know, it's like an addiction, right? Like we're addicted, man. We need help. <laughs> I mean, we don't have kids and uh, we kind of look at it as it's like the one thing that it's our one extravagance. We get to travel with the gallery. So, hey, you don't have kids? You want some? I got two. I'll, I'll no, be happy no, to no, give no. them to you. <laughs> I tell you what, I, I love my kids, but boy, I hate my kids. I mean, I love my kids, but I hate, you know, it's a very complicated dynamic, you know. <laughs> By the way, before we get into this, shout out to our mutual friend, Heidi Johnson from Hijinx PR. I mean, we love our Heidi. She brought us together, hooked us up here today. So, this show is brought to us by Hijinks. No, definitely Heidi's family. So, Yeah, exactly. You know, one of the things I've always wanted to ask you, because you've, you know, because of your love and your passion, you know, for art, number one, and artists, number two, like you have, I think over the years, not intentionally, but like here you are now, right, really as a leader. I mean, you're a leader in the art world. And I'm sure, you know, when you got started, you know, you were, you know, that was not your agenda. <laughs> that was not maybe your goal. But how does it feel then to have carved out this space of leadership for yourself and for things? Uh, well, thank you for that. I definitely wouldn't consider that. Our world's a big place. I mean, we're still kind of a small little cog in the machine. But uh, I guess for our niche little uh, corner of the art world, uh, we've definitely outlasted a lot of I guess the people that formed the foundation, they're gone now. You know, the Levines and the Justin Guerrero's and some of those folks that have, you know, screwed up for one reason or another. And then um, some of the other ones that were like, you know, huge back in the day are, you know, not really doing too much these days and stuff. And we've continued to kind of try to, uh, I guess, always expand when we move. And, you know, at the same time, we've been doing quite a few things over the past decade with museums, which I think is super, super important. And has really helped to uh, get her name out there. That and our strong alliance with, I think, Juxtapose and High Fructose Help. Those are two magazines that are kind of the Bibles of our little bubble of the art world. And, you know, we've been really good to them and been in every issue now for, uh, I mean, geez, for every issue of Juxtapose now for like 17, 18 years. And we've been there every issue of High Fructose since I think like issue eight or nine. 
I would have to ask Ada to be sure. But yeah, I mean, uh, I remember when he was uh, set up at uh, Comic-Con hawking his first issue along with his little uh, spiky green guy that came out. I remember picking up both of those and going, oh, shit, this is super cool. You know, and at the time, no one had ever really thought to try to go up against Juxtapose. They came at it with a totally different vibe and uh, a different mindset, which I think is cool. So, uh, yeah. No, it's definitely kind of wild to look back and think that we're, you know, coming up on 20 years and about a year and change. And uh, we're already talking about what we want to do for it. And just to see how many things have changed, too, just in the art world in that time. And to see how much all our personal lives have changed is kind of crazy as well. And just like, you know, when we started, I mean, it was just a whim. I mean, we started in a place that we didn't have a lease. It was just a handshake deal. A buddy at LC's, uh, my partner in the space, he used to do cannibal flower. And he had just started this little spot called Art Annex. And he was like on show two and we were hanging out one day. And it was like just right off of Melrose, right in the sweet spot, like right next to Fairfax High right there. Couldn't ask for a better spot. And like right around the corner, like almost catty corner from us was Johan's new spot that he just opened called Suru, uh, the DJ from Lincoln Park. And then Dom's place, uh, Brooklyn Projects, was right there. So, I mean, we just had this like hipster, like nexus going. But like six months into it, we lost the space. The guy that uh, was letting us kind of rock it just decided he was going to turn it into a hair studio for his wife. So much for the handshake deal. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so it was wild and Elsie was just like oh maybe it wasn't meant to be and I was just like no fuck that and we kind of scrambled and we found another spot out in Silver Lake and you know the rest is history I guess as they say and the scenic route is never a straight line right but it's the most beautiful and uh we bob and weave and we we deal with life's curveballs and sucker punches but you know one way or another we figure out how to make lemonade out of the lemons and add vodka if we're lucky, you know, and here we are 20 years later, you know, celebrating all of that, that ingenuity and that perseverance and endurance and commitment to the love of the art. And, you know, and I mean, I, I think that's what's so cool about your story from, you know, as I see it anyway, it's just that like you led with the passion and the love, like, you know, like you got into this for the love of the game, right? Like it wasn't, you wasn't like you were like, oh, I'm going to be a gallerist, right? Yeah, we didn't have a plan. We didn't have a, you know, set program. You know, we're not one of those galleries that, you know, you got to have an installation. You got to have a photography. You got to have, you know, I mean, there's just a lot of little rhythms to the more cookie cutter art world, the proper art world, I guess you could say. And, you know, in recent years, we've definitely dabbled in that sector. Some of the artists that we work with have really taken off. And definitely recently, a couple of major artists have just, you know, like, been snapped up by like the machine of uh you know the almond rikes and stuff of the world so, you know at the same time you got to look at that as like you know you're doing something right and people are paying attention and you know that's the more attention you get even if it's just for one or two major artists still brings attention to the whole family and it trickles down and it's been wild to watch like the last like three to five years has been really strong for us I guess we've also made some stronger moves too, just uh, on the back end with what we've been doing and stuff. And now with the onset of the new space and the courtyard and stuff, we're really focusing on building community here in LA because it's something we felt we got a little bit of ways from for a while. And it was what led us to build the fifth gallery, I guess, now in our courtyard, which we're lovingly calling the, the Doghouse Gallery, which was inspired by the work of a local graffiti artist, Breck. And we opened it last month, and man, people were just loving it. And we've got Mr. Toledo in there coming up in June, and uh, Cody Jimenez in July. So, and a whole little uh, 
Duke Monster right after that in uh, August. So it's we've got a good lineup of just keeping it local and taking a lot less than we do in the proper gallery and just giving you know some local artists a chance that you know by and large with the overhead that we've got now with the, the two spaces and the bigger crew and stuff like that we're you know unfortunately not able to do some of the things that we were able to do that really you know is what got us into it you know just the sheer love of giving you know opportunities and that you know trying to open a door for people that might not otherwise be able to kick it open you know it's up to them after that to keep the door open and keep blazing that path but at the same time if we're able to just give that you know nudge up over the fence so to speak or you know that initial you know creak of the door open and stuff like that that's awesome you know i mean recently you know my wife has been having some crazy health issues that are, you know not worth getting into too much but uh it's one of those things that's led her to getting her flowers as they say before she's gone with that a lot of the praises you know to both of us and it's just things you don't stop and think about or you I want to say you take them for granted, but you don't think about it until you get these super long, like paragraph long driven emails from artists that you worked with for a long time, or maybe that you haven't even heard from in like a decade, but they tell you how much you change their lives and stuff. And ah, I'm getting emotional. No, it's amazing. That's why we do it. But the last few months have been tough, but um, at the same time, the community has been amazing. Well, I'm, first of all, sending good healing vibes to the missus, you know, none of our business, what's going on, but sending love your way, brother. It's out there in the world. And we did a big cancer benefit recently, you know, it was revolved around her and stuff. So if people want to know, it's on the Instagram and stuff like that. But yeah, don't want to bring the vibe of the cast down too much. But, you know, overall, I mean, it's just been amazing that how many people have just, it's one of those things, you know, you don't have kids and you wonder, but then at the same time we do, we have hundreds of them in a way. Yeah. I mean, the children you're raising, aka the artists you're raising, are your children, right? Like the family, you know, and they're going to rally, you know, and I think that, again, right? I mean, you didn't get into this because you thought you were going to change artists' lives necessarily. But, you know, you look back 20 years and you're like, wow, you know, like it sort of turned out to be your legacy, right? And that was not your intent, you know? No, no. It's one of those things. I mean, A, we never thought it would last this long, get this big. And at the same time, I mean, we've all quit our day jobs like long ago, which I mean, when we, I mean, the first 10 years of the gallery, I was working 50, 60 hours a week still being vice president of sales and marketing for a pretty major heavy metal label, and, you know, going to sales conventions and doing all that shit. And then, you know, get out of work at five, six o'clock, rush home, work for five, five, six more hours, you know, hang out with Kawhi for like an hour or two, blaze a little bit, go to bed, repeat, 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 repeat for like 10 years. And. It got to the point where we were just like, whew, something's got to break. And that's kind of when we decided to kind of just make that next step and, and go for it. And, yeah, we've not looked back. It's been the best uh, move I've ever done in my life, to be honest. i got to say it's been uh, – we're blessed to do what we do. And to have the byproduct of that be helping to change other people's lives at the interim, you know, I, I mean, at the same time, it was pretty incredible. And many – like I was saying, like the people that, you know, would, you know, send Sean you know, letters of support and stuff, I mean, it's just like – Ones that we would have never, ever thought to be like, oh, yeah, we helped them, you know, or whatever. Because they're maybe only on, like, a couple shows. like. But then they just talk, they send you this, like, little tree, and you're just like, fuck, you know? It's wild. It is wild, man. I mean, you know, it's like we have this little podcast, and, you know, it's amazing to me. I'll, I'll hear back from, from guests and artists, you know, who, I mean, 
they're just so grateful to have had the exposure, you know, or grateful to to have a moment to share their story, you know, and it doesn't take much, right, to touch a life. You know? But come on, man. even with you guys and, you know, man and everybody back in the day with Truest, I mean, going back a decade, I mean, there's so many artists that passed through those halls that would have never, ever gotten a show in L.A. otherwise, you know. No, it's, I mean, and who knows who saw them in that show that bought a piece, you know, then, you know, their trees, as they say, you know, they're little, yeah. like, you know. It's like the stone in the water, you know, just the, yeah, like, yeah, the ripple effects, right? Wild. Yeah. 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 Sometimes well, you just don't think of it, so. It's a special place to be. We count our blessings every day. I mean, we live pretty simply. We got a small house. We drive old cars. Um, we spend our money on art, you know? It's just like we like to keep it secular at the same time. I mean, we also buy artists young because that's really when we can afford it. And at the same time, <clears throat> I think that's when they, they need it the most. We've also had many, many instances, you know, where we'll run into an artist at their third, fourth, fifth solo show and we bought something, you know, early on in the group show or whatever, even before the first solo. But they'll remember us. And it's kind of like I was saying, even with like the early group shows with some of the artists that we shot, I mean, they'll just be like, oh man, the time that you bought that piece, I just know that what you guys, you know, collect and how important you are and this and another thing. And just, you know, that just uplifted me and fueled me for like the next, you know, and the money helped. And, and you're just like, fuck you. And it's just these little microcosmos of uh, people's lives that you don't really realize how much that they sparked. And, you know, so. Yeah, I mean, to us, I mean, I'd rather have a bunch of art on the wall than a bunch of money sitting in the bank. And I'm not worried about if it goes up in value. I mean, we've never flipped. We never put anything to auction. We literally just bought a piece this morning that we, from an artist that we've been chasing for a decade. We finally got a piece. And it was just like this quiet auction that no one was paying attention to. And I'd been like 30 seconds before our clothes and no one bought me. The last three times we've gone for it, it was just like a battle with like three or four other people. And we got priced out every time. So, you know, it's like LC says, you know, the art gods were smiling on us. It might not always, you know, come back around right away, but it will come back around. So, uh, and that's kind of like one of his main, main sayings. And I got to say, it always works out for us somehow or another. Like, even like mid pandemic, you know, our landlord told us he was going to like almost double our rent over in Culver City in the middle of, you know, like, what is he smoking? Like, yeah, like fuck. May 2020, that they told us this, and we're, they're like, "Oh, when you resign your lease in December, it's going to go up this month." And we're like, "What?" And we were like, "All right," and that spurred us to go looking, and yeah. you know, that made us move. And then, you know, a year after that, we got a, you know, just this past year, we got the spot right next door to the new spot, and it's like, and now it's like this machine more so than it's ever been, and it's pretty amazing. But you know, I mean. I drive by the space that kicked us out. It's still not been rented. You know? <laughs> it's like, congratulations, jackass. <laughs> you know, this was like about the same time. Thank you. You know, cause we were happy there. We were content. I got to admit, we were a little stagnant and in retrospect, I'm so happy that, you know, the greed pushed us out because now, you know, we're literally paying not much more than what we were over there before he was going to change it. We've got mm -hmm. 10 times the amount of space, and now with the new courtyard and stuff, I think we're one of the few spaces in L.A. that just really has something different and special. And now with, you know, Goop Master taking over things out there, and, you know, we've got the live painter each month, and when that piece gets, at, you know, following the live painting event, we'll get auctioned off to a charity of that artist's choosing, and we get 100% every month of that. We get the canvases pretty much donated to us from Graph Aids, who we've worked with for a long time here in town, great little local art supply store. And, Culver City, and he's curating like a little mini artist mart each month. We don't take a thing 
they bring all their own tables. We give them a back end, you know, give them some power and stuff and let them do their thing. And from what I've heard every month so far, everyone's, you know, learning 500 bucks or more and, you know, selling lots of, you know, prints and little OGs and figures and whatever the hell they're doing. You know, we're going to have a figure artist or a, a caricature artist come out soon. Goopmaster was doing live airbrushing on t-shirts last month and killing it. And then we've got like a couple different little food things set up. The guys from Digital Debris Galleries are doing video projections all over the place. Got Elsie and his partner doing a little light show and live DJ action and then an open bar. And we've had like a marijuana like vendor come out each month so far and just do like little samples, you know, like little, little samples. People, if they're curious, it is Los Angeles after all. And yeah, it's just been pretty awesome. Just been really, really good vibes. So, and now with the doghouse gallery opening up, um, there's a whole nother little aspect of, I think just a crowd and a scene that'll develop out there since we're always going to keep the artists in there local so they can always bring out a nice little crew and have those little areas they're opening and at the same time help bring a lot of energy to everybody else's shows at the uh, four other spots. So it's definitely like we're seeing more and more people that are, you know, they show up between six and seven and then we, we see that they're still here when we're kind of pushing people out and we're just like, wow, crazy. <laughs> I guess if you feed people and you give them a good time, they'll hang out and we always say that in LA, a city that's probably got on any given night, you know, a hundred things going on that you can check out. We're pretty blessed to have, you know, that many people as a part of our community that are always showing up month after month to support us and our artists. We try to never lose sight of that. Yeah. You know, the word that comes to mind, you know, when I think about part of the reason why you guys are successful and part of the reason why you're beloved is the word is integrity, right? Like you guys, you know, you have integrity, right? Like, you know, everyone knows what you're about, you know, everyone knows why you're doing what you're doing, you know, and that resonates and that's compelling. And they feel that you feel it in your bones and you want more of it. Right. I mean, it's like, it's like, it's, yes, it's culture, but it's pure culture. And it's like, and I think that that resonates people feel that truth, that honesty, that integrity, and that authenticity. Right. And you can't fake that shit. And people know when you're faking it, you know, even for us, like back in the day and even today, I mean, we're in this because we love it. We don't have a fucking choice, man. <laughs> you know? Yeah. No, we're, we're, I think you're a lot like, I mean, we're blessed to know a lot of people where, you know, we, we, we've got our toe on the subculture. So if we're able to kind of like help be that mouthpiece that, you know, that help expand that bandwidth for those folks and get them seen by the, the general public and, you know, let them live their lives through their creativity and their God-given gifts and stuff like that. That's a pretty special thing. So, uh, no, it's pretty cool to hear that from you, to be honest. We try to be real. A lot of times it shoots us in the foot. We burn some bridges, but a lot of times I always joke that the bridges that I'm burning, I'm not looking to drive my car across anytime soon anyway, so fucking break up the napalm. Fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> there is no back. There's only oh, four fucking shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so. yeah. I mean, you know, you got to scramble some eggs and make an omelet or whatever the fuck that saying yeah. is. But I mean, you know, you came up through music, right? Like, like when you yeah. were fifteen, and you grew up in Philly, right? Like, I grew up in Michigan, actually. Like Michigan, just, uh, oh, Michigan, Midwest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, like, I'm Indiana. I was like right in the middle of Kalamazoo, so I was like two hours away from Detroit and two hours away from Chicago. So, oh my god, so, so that's yeah, hilarious. Yeah, I was going to Detroit to Todd's or Harpo's for the metal shows, and then I'd go to Chicago okay. all the time with, my dad's for, with my dad for Cubs games. So, those were like nice. kind of my culture hubs because there was nothing in Kalamazoo. 
Uh, okay, okay. I don't know where I got Philly from, but I mean, I you know, I didn't know. I spent ten years in Philly working at Relapse Records. Uh, That's under, what it was. That's what under it was. Okay. Court label, which I worked at before I came up here to LA to work at Century Media Records, which I worked at for about oh, seven eight years. And then uh, Relapse was like, and still are like, I mean, the leaders will just like, you know, just true underground death grind, really, really underground shit. And spent a lot of my time in those early days with Relapse doing a lot of international sales. So I was always going to Europe, which really you know, opened up my horizons, got me to see some of the best museums in the world. And yep. just, you know, just really opened up my worldview in a big, big way. Not to mention just you know, being exposed to some of the most amazing bands, like being there the night we signed Dillinger Escape Plan and the night we went and saw Mastodon in a basement with like eight people and signed them and I mean, just crazy <laughs> shit like that. I mean, it's just, yeah, yeah good memories. So. That's one thing I didn't realize you and I have is like a Midwest connection because I was born in Gary, Indiana. I grew up in Northwest Indiana. So you and I were neighbors. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hey, man, we escaped. We escaped. <laughs> but you but but yeah, we so, had Chicago. Like you had yeah, Detroit yeah. and Chicago. I just had Chicago. But you know, I was working at the Believe in Music, which was a chain doing like the night managing and buying. Like I started a little metal section. I was doing that, and then I was doing community college. But got a gig at Wider W I D R, which was like the big college station at Western Michigan University, which is the proper big university in town. But I wasn't going there. But a friend of mine got me into the back door, so I was on the air, you know, pimping relapse on Fridays and then, you know, doing a little thing at the store during the week. And Matt, the old owner, who since got out of it, but invited me to come up, you know, for an interview. And I, I was like 20, maybe, I think, at yeah, 20. And I was like maybe a year into my school and I was, I was you know, in, in the community college. And it just, I could tell I was never going to make four years of this. It was not <laughs> Exactly, and right. High school was a torture zone for me. So I couldn't even realize. I was just doing it because my folks were both in education. were like, you have to do this. You have to be a robot. So I got this opportunity and I talked him into letting me go out. And sure enough, he offered me the, the gig to start his promotion division because they were just starting to grow. They were all year three or four. I think maybe year five was a label. But like realizing that, you know, it was more than just them and their two buddies at that point. They needed to hire, you know, somebody to deal with stores. Like they hired me and this radio guy and a couple other guys and we were in the basement of a christmas shop in millersville pennsylvania about an hour outside of philly and total like amishville hell like literally like horse and buggies going up and down my up front my window all day long with a 365 uh day a year christmas store above us pimping devil metal music in the basement it was pretty uh i mean it just hysterical <laughs> looking back on it but um you know at the same time it gave me i guess like the wherewithal to do what we're doing now you know a lot of people are kind of baffled by some of the stuff we do from a marketing perspective and and just a lot of the collaborations that we've done over the years and stuff like that. I mean, it almost seems commonplace now for galleries to work with one another, but I've been interviewed many times over the years where people were just baffled that we would, you know, work with another gallery. So it's kind of funny. And by no means am I saying we trailblaze that or whatever, but I mean, I think in our little bubble of the art world, we definitely did. Because, I mean, I mean, if you're friendly with somebody, why not? I mean, we'll have people hit us up that we don't even know asking us to carry a show. And I'm like, no, that's obviously driven by, you know, other things and just wanting to have a good time and hang out. And that's, you know, really what we're trying to do. Yeah, the business is just an excuse to hang out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, if we're going to pay the bills and change some people's lives along the way, that's fucking dope. To not have to, you know, wake up at 7 o'clock and punch the clock and make money for somebody else. Ultimately, at least making them a lot more than you're making for yourself is a, is a beautiful thing. So, yeah. 
Yeah, it's sort of what we do is sort of a compulsion. I mean, I just feel like, you know, it's like I don't have a fucking choice. You know what I mean? Like it's it's like, I guess, looking back, you know, speaking for myself anyway, I look back 20, 30 years. I, it's like, oh, yeah, I totally see how I got here. You know, at the time, I didn't necessarily know where the fuck I was going. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but there was, I couldn't wait to get there. I just didn't know where the fuck I was going. But, you know, you've hit on a couple of things because, you know, you talk about, you know, some of the marketing stuff, some of the promotional stuff. I mean, you know, the business acumen that you've displayed over the years, you know, whether it was, you know, self-taught or trial and error or the price of an education, making mistakes along the way. We all make mistakes. That's how we learn. But, you know, I mean, Think Space now, what, 500 plus shows, 20 years. I mean, you know, thinking, I mean, you survived the 08. You, well, you survived all kinds of challenges, whether it was handshake deals gone wrong or landlords trying to double their rent, you know, in the middle of a pandemic, but you also survived the 08 recession, you know, I mean, there have been so many, you know, things that have happened that would have taken down, you know, bigger businesses, smaller businesses, you know, whatever, but somehow you guys have continued to fight and survive and not just survive, but thrive. And, you know, and I just, you know, I think it's a testament to so many things, right? It's a testament, obviously, to you guys and your leadership and your creativity and your dedication and hard work. It's also, you know, let's be frank. I mean, you've got the right thing at the right time. People love, you know, they love your artists. They love the the art that your artists put in the world. And, and so it's sort of like, I don't know, it's a little bit of magic how these things come together. hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, because people like ask like how we did it and I'm just like, I can't, can't encapsulate that in an answer and at the same time i really do believe it was lightning in a bottle in a perfect place at the perfect time i mean when we came on at you know late 2005 i mean the la art scene was shifting you know i mean i, I just like i mean for like a good three four years prior to that i mean there was cannibal flower was like starting to make a lot of waves downtown as was great fixate as was Cruest and, you know, Zero One in some of these spaces and Dilly back in the day, you know, and things like that. And it's just a lot of new spaces were starting to open up. We were starting to get talked about as maybe a true contender to New York early, early on. But, I mean, it was just like there was a lot of things going on and there was also a lot of artists that were coming up from those incubators that were, you know, Cannibal Flower and Trade Fixate and some of the smaller galleries in downtown. And, you know, just in the outskirts that we're all kind of looking for that next step or just not group shows because there was quite a few places that were just doing consistent group shows, but not really, you know, that next step. And I don't know. I won't lie. I mean, we didn't know what the fuck we were doing. We put together a rough plan of like about three months worth of shows that we thought would be pretty cool. And we talked about, you know, three or four artists that we would love to do, you know, solo shows with. And we kind of dove in and we shut down the street when we uh, opened. I mean, so many people showed up. I mean, we were kind of blessed. LC was already, you know, a few years in the Cannibal Flower. He had a nice little, you know, patron base and actually had collectors and stuff like that. And we were doing Sour Harvest, our blog at the time, which, you know, was probably about two years strong and was very well known, you know, for kind of just exposing what was going on each week, what openings to go to and doing interviews with artists and stuff. Yeah, I just think that the two things together, along with the community itself and just, you know, everything just kind of bubbling over at just like the super magical time. Yeah, it was just a, you look back, I mean, you you couldn't replicate it now if you wanted to. 
and with the onset of just socials and everything else, I mean, it's just, I don't know. We were also at this perfect place to be able to be that like initial exposure, kind of like pulling back the the curtain, so to speak, behind the, the magical LA world. And then at the same time, really branching out to the new contemporary world worldwide, which there was a lot of people focusing on the LA contemporary or new contemporary folks and pop surrealism. I guess it was more known as back then. Now it's more con- became more known as new contemporary, but back then the pop surrealism lowbrow world was really focused on LA. But at the same time we saw that, you know, some of the most creative, amazing stuff was coming out of, you know, Asia and Europe. And we started bringing a lot of those artists in and we were constantly getting asked like, why aren't you showing more artists from LA? And it's just like, well, there's already these fucking 20 galleries showing them. I don't want to share all that. And at the same time, it just seems silly to bring exposure when we're doing more, I felt than a lot of the other galleries. So why should we continue to shine something up? And then the following month they go and do something with these other, you know, Yahtzees that aren't doing shit, but then, you know, kind of benefit from it. And I don't know, we just, and at the same time, we liked to travel. We kind of got that bug when we were in the music industry and we were trying to figure out how we could continue to do it without just, you know, feeding the art fair machine, which we, you know, by and large have avoided over the years, say for, you know, here and there in Miami and a few others. So we started, you know, working with some museums and, you know, like-minded galleries and, you know, just getting things out there a little bit more. And uh, that's really helped us to uh, take things out on a pretty international level. So been exciting. Yeah, you know, I'm sort of reminded of, you know, at least years ago, right, we, you know, talked about, you know, America's greatest export being culture, you know, entertainment, you know, but even like Levi jeans, right, like Levi's were in Harley Davidson, you know, coveted around the world. I remember my some dear friends of mine in Norway, like, you know, they couldn't afford a Harley, but they had every Harley Davidson bit of clothing, merch, you know, I mean, they look like Harley riders in Oslo, but like that was the connection, right? So my, I guess what I'm saying is like, you know, we live in California, we live in LA for whatever reason, right? We're tapped into the scene, we're tapped into this cultural scene and people want it, man. They want it around the world. And yet at the same time, it's also our scene here is influenced by the international scene. I mean, I think, you know, about the influence that Japan had you know, in the just, you know, think about toys alone. I mean, and then now it's gone back, you know, we were influenced by them. Now they're influenced by us. That's been kind of wild to say for sure. So you guys, from what I understand, right? I mean, the Asian art market's really been kind of blowing up for you guys. You have a connection there. Talk a little bit about how, you know, you guys are working across the pond. We've heavily shown artists from countries that make up Asia over the, the last 18 years. And in recent years, we've been delving a bit more into uh, like Thailand and Indonesia and uh, Taiwan of note, all kind of led by, you know, one main artist that we would start working with in each market. And then they, you know, kind of would help, you know, bring some of their friends along for the ride, so to speak. There's so many amazing creatives in that part of the world. And we're just scratching the surface. I mean, literally just scratching the surface. We did our first show in Hong Kong about 10 years ago with a gallery called Above Second, which closed a while back. But um, that was really, you know, made us realize that, you know, there was definitely a fervor for the artists that we work with over there. That was a curated show of 12 artists with like, I think, two pieces each, handful of uh, artists from Japan and then a good bit of artists from all over the rest of the world. And it sold out like before the opening just to like their patrons and stuff. And then we've since done couple smaller shows and just recently it's open still now but by the time this airs it will have just closed but um 
we were able to partner with Wa Wo Gallery, and Wa was like a, just a, an amazing space that I have. Oh gosh, I think they're up to five five spaces now between Hong Kong and mainland China, and they just opened a new space over in Singapore as well. Ran by um, some great guys that were uh, lucky enough to have been introduced to by a couple strong collector friends of ours that we've made over in Hong Kong in the past few years. And uh, we were able to get Georgico to do their first big solo show in Asia. And it's really helped open the doors to even more opportunities over there for us that we're hoping that we can capitalize on in the coming years and um, talking to them about doing some more stuff soon. And uh, we also recently did a pretty big show with Valeri in Dubai that was really successful and talking with them currently about doing a follow-up show with them as well sometime in the next couple of years. So um, yeah, just trying to do everything we can just to, uh, like we were saying earlier, just kind of you know create new opportunities and at the same time, keep it really kind of exciting and interesting for us and our family as well i guess just so uh i mean it's just um i mean not that it ever gets stagnant but i was always kind of brought up you know being told to challenge myself and stuff and i like to challenge our crew our director uh ken fluellen i mean just for instance i mean he's been with us now for 13 12 13 14 years (laughs) i always forget i mean forever i love love him to death he is an integral part of our crew and an amazing oil painter as well and somebody that we've uh been lucky enough to show a good bit in recent years and we just recently got him his first smaller museum exhibition and over the years we've been blessed enough to uh, work with the Pawaha Hawaii family which now go by Worldwide Walls over in Honolulu and every year we're able to get like ah it, it depends on Jasper's uh I think kind of workload and how many people he's already gotten confirmed and stuff but over the years we've been able to get anywhere from like three to six artists kind of in the mix of the people that he brings over to Hawaii each spring. And uh, this year we were talking and he was asking me who I had in mind. I was just like, been trying to get Ken to do a mural locally for a minute with a couple of friends that are, you know, I guess you could say mural facilitators, wall finders here in LA. And it just uh, hasn't worked out for one reason or another. And at the same time, I really wanted to be able to bring over more of our crew to Hawaii this year than we normally are. So I figured, well, let's see if we can't get Ken a wall. And then, you know, we, you know, then my wife and I can come and we can bring you know, one or two of the other guys to, to actually do the show, but then Ken still gets to go. So Ken usually be in the one that goes because, you know, he's the, the longtime lead director and, you know, knows everything that's going on. But we were able to uh, get him a great wall, man. Jasper was super stoked to do it. And unbeknownst to us, the photo was a little uh, misleading. We thought it was a good bit smaller than it was when we, than when we got there. And, <laughs> but, so he got to learn how to drive a lift and be, be, be careful what you wish be careful what you wish honestly he fucking killed it i mean yeah he made a ton of new friends right. he's super positive the whole time like he always is and he just fucking smashed it now he's getting ready to do a, a wall here in town that we curate with our framers that's right on the main drag of jefferson and marina del rey area and one of the more higher traffic streets in uh, la so um and that kind of gets swapped out every six to nine months and um, he was actually the focus of a mural an artist did about four or five years ago there. And he was like so jazzed with that because it was just like this big, huge, like, you know, 20 foot head of Ken that you would drive by every day. It was pretty comical. So now he actually gets to rock a mural there on that same exact wall himself. So I think that's pretty special. So he's getting ready to figure that out sometime here. And sometime probably July or August that will take place. So uh, excited for that. And then uh, next week, we've got a adult coming into town. He's going to bless our courtyard with a huge new mural, the biggest one out there. That'll go alongside all murals that we've got out there from Scent Rock 
and a good monster and hopes. Right on. Well, you know, we're talking a lot about the pond right next to us, AKA the Pacific ocean, you know, but from what I understand, you've got uh, some stuff going on on the other side of the Atlantic pond. Don't you have something coming up in Amsterdam, right? You're making me think about my geography there. I was just like, where is he? Talking? <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I try. <laughs> my, my wife told me to shut up half the time. Sorry. Uh, no, no, no. Geography is never been my strong point. I'll be honest. <laughs> but, uh, no, um, I mean, honestly, I mean, I can't even look back. Like, uh, like even like the brand library, not to get off track. I will forget where I, I won't forget where we're going, but like the brand library show that we just did, um, the big Reyes show. That was like our third exhibition there. And that came about, I mean, it's just funny, like the lemons thing. You're, I mean, just some of the biggest opportunities for us happen out of fuckery. We had did the big Beyond Eden events back in the day, if you remember. And during the lead up to the fifth one, we found out there was going to be a new director at the Barnesdale Municipal Gallery that's inside Barnesdale Park, where the Beyond Eden event happened each year. And for those of you that don't know, Google it happened in the, I think, 2005 to 2010 area. I mean, we'd get two, 3,000 people out. Um, bring them to this amazing art sculpture park in West Hollywood that no one really knew about because it was like an old codger fest. And we would bring a bunch of new, young, you know, hip, rad people up there and, you know, rock this show that would be up for a few months. And it was always, you know, just super, super special. And it was kind of like, you know, the anti-art fair because we would always bring together like five or six other galleries and bring them all under one roof. But after four really successful events and bringing them you know, thousands of new people that would never get exposed to the park, let alone the, you know, the gallery there. The new director decided it was time to start charging us an obscene fee for rental and was going to put it into place for this event that we had all already curated. We're all already getting ready to install in like three weeks. So we ended up having to charge admission, which was the only thing we could think to offset it. Thankfully, everybody having gone to four previous ones was down and, you know, we made it worthwhile and we were able to cover the fee. But it was obscene to all of a sudden get hit with like this, you know, $20,000 fee out of nowhere and be like, okay. But anyways. Yeah, yeah, say nothing of the fact that they could get away with that shit because you've actually done the hard work of making it cool for the last two or three years. Yeah. yeah, No no good deed goes unpunished, I guess. Yeah. So at the end of the night, I decided I was going to get on the mic because we had always did like little things at the beginning of the night where we were mic'd up and we would give certain people accolades and these little trophies over the years like you know we did anthony osgang robert williams greg escalani before he passed and gosh who else van arno and so i got on the mic and i was just like hey you know thank you everybody for coming you know unfortunately this is going to be the last one you know i called her out i just i wanted her to to get some spin but i mean it was childish i'll admit i shouldn't have called her out for everybody but but at the same time i was just like hey man just so you just so no one wonders where we're at next year this is what's up you know it's like bureaucracy nonsense Love y'all. Thanks for coming. You know, but made ended on a positive note and uh, tapped out. Sure enough, this woman that we worked with for a long time, Shannon Holmes, came up to me, and we had did some shows with her old space out in North Hollywood way back in the day. And lo and behold, she was getting a new gig and was going to be the new director out of this place called the Brain Library in Glendale. And wondered if maybe we wanted to, you know basically take the vision that was beyond Eden, change the name a little bit and go out there. And I was just like, okay, I'll come on, check it out. Never had heard of the spot. It was cultural, you know, hidden gem for probably since the sixties out there. You know, I had some artists that lived probably within a mile or two of the place. Didn't even know it existed because by and large, it was kind of, you know, 
you know, local call shows and our local open call shows and like little pottery shows and, you know, photography call shows. Just nothing that was really bringing in anybody outside of their circle of, you know, people that were already going there. And we rocked our first event there a number of years back. And now we're, you know, that was our fourth one that we just did. We're getting ready to, they invited us back for another one. The money that we helped raise off of that one was like some of the biggest fundraising thing that they had did and the most money they had brought in all of COVID. So, I mean, they were just super, super jazzed. So, I mean, that just was one opportunity that came out of another. And then with the Strat, I mean, we worked and been really close buddies with Highland that runs Anakin Gallery or used to run Anakin Gallery over in Amsterdam. And then he moved over to Colorado and then he moved back to Amsterdam. And then he's now over in Portugal running this amazing place called The Hideout. And just, I've always kept in touch with them, you know, Sean and I, and he's also Mando Marie's boyfriend, significant other, and they lived together for a number of years now, and we work heavily with her. So it's just like a little family type thing. And we've also always done a lot of uh, the scope art shows in tandem with him. And he's just like the super crazy bohemian guy. Like he, he'd half the time just be camping out on the beach. He'd go, he goes for a swim midday at the fair, comes back soaking wet in his shorts, and we'll just sell artwork. He's just one of those real dudes, I guess. And I guess, you know, real attracts real, and we just, always been buds and he's just a crack up and we've done some shows smaller shows with him over the years and then lo and behold he hit me up and he's just like yo man i just got a gig being the director at the strat and i'm like holy shit i'm like no fucking way you should do something you know so it's just like and we were like fuck yeah and um we did a the two-person show last year the end of the year with kayla mahaffey and carlos ramirez and went over with them and uh did everything while we were there for about 10 days all together it was just a super super incredible trip and it led to him kind of going, well, you want to come back next year? He's just like, it'd be not even going to be a year. It's going to be June. But he's just like, I can lock in every June from now until you get sick of us. And kind of like the same magical, you know, offering we got from Jasper at Pow Wow back in the day. And I was just like, sure. So we're doing a cool group show with a focus with uh, two big Netherlands based artists that have yet to get into the strop. They've were, were bemoaning to me that they, uh, just hadn't been able to get the stars to align to get Super A and Colin Vandersloot in there, and I was just like, well, I'm good buddies with both of them, and they're best friends. So let me see if I can't figure it out, you know. And yeah, so that's coming up this June. Since I was just there in September, we're sending over Halo Pig, my right hand man here, who's been with us for uh, about a year and a half now, but has been working and been part of the family for probably about a good ten years. But uh, you know, he, he got out of the old uh, weed industry that he was in for a number of years. And, with everything kind of falling apart on that side of things. And then, uh, you know, has been integral here. Super, super excited to have him on the team and just had him go over to Hawaii before Sean and I flew in and install the show and do everything on his own. He's going to be doing the same thing for this one, just because we just really want to like push his skill sets. And, you know, I mean, sometimes people don't think they can do it until they do it when they realize they can do it or, you know, it's a whole nother, you know, level of confidence has been. Yeah. Achieved. Sometimes we just got to push them, right? It's like, you yeah, jump. No, no. Yeah, you can totally, swim. Totally. Yeah. No, no. And Ken and Dan know full well that when, you know, we decide to tap out in the next 10 or 15 years or whatever, maybe sooner if life, uh, those more curveballs are away or whatnot. I mean, it's even set up officially now with paperwork and everything in a trust, but I mean, we want them to continue things based on hopefully they both know the vision. They both have our same tastes. And more importantly, they've got the vibe. Like I said, like you were saying, it's just, um, yeah. So, I mean, we're hoping that it can continue on for uh, a wee bit after we're able to keep uh, pushing it up the hill. Fingers crossed. 
Well, and that's, you know, with the track record and the history and the legacy and the heritage, you know, of 20 years to look back on. I mean, it's, you know, sometimes to look forward to, to sometimes understand where you got to go. You got to look backwards. I was like, where do we come from? It's like, oh, okay. Yeah, this is the way. Right. And then to have those people around you that truly understand it, get it, respect it. You know, it's like a marriage, right? Like, you know, that chemistry and that it's a family, it's a family matter. Right. And, and the family can take it and run with it. But, you know, so much of what you're getting at, like what I love about all these stories you were just kind of going through, it's like the power of art as an economic development tool. I mean, it kind of goes without saying, but I mean, we all know this, but, you know, it's like, it feels like everything you guys have touched, right, on a certain level has created economic opportunity, right, for artists, for the communities, for the local businesses of that community, you know, the hardware store, the Uber driver, the, you know, whatever. Right. And that's, I think the power of art and artists, you know, like we're, you know, we don't think of it in economic terms because we're artists and we're creating people, we're creating art and what have you, but we're also creating value and we're creating economic upside for these communities. Something I never even thought of. I mean, that's why, I mean, yeah, that's crazy. But no, I mean, especially like something like, I mean, just to have been involved with Powell for the last decade and to have watched that grow each year exponentially in each market that it's been and not just Hawaii, but like Long Beach and others. It's crazy because, I mean, you know, the first year I'll have like, you know, the true art lovers wandering around and then the next year you see the, you know, the next town overs art lovers start coming around and then the third year is like the strollers start coming out and then the fourth year you <laughs> the strollers with the grandmas with the umbrellas start coming out and then you know and then all of a sudden it's yeah it's wild and then you see and then all of a sudden you know everyone's got five ten people across the street set up behind you know set up underneath the little blue tent jams with coolers just watching them paint all week long like it's you know the oh shit oh i was gonna it's power week you know and it's not to mention then all those people yeah you're right all those people have been going to every local shop every local bar yeah it's wild you know, unfortunately, sometimes that bites you in the ass in terms of just uh, gentrification. I mean, it's happened recently in Hawaii. That whole Kaka'ako area is now getting leveled for high rises soon. But at the same time, I mean, going back to, you know, the curveball lemonade, you know, scenarios we were talking about earlier, Jasper decided that it was time to give back more to the community instead of, the, you know, even though we were, I feel strongly, you know, even though we beautified it too much, so to speak, and then you know, made it too desirable. And all of a sudden, you know, developers were like, ah, and that's the, the lay of the land. Unfortunately, that's just, you know, the, the evil that is. Yeah. That's Darwinian. Brand, you know, I I mean, like that's Darwinian. I mean, that's just kind of like the nature of nature, right? The nature of, of, and you know, I'm not saying it's, it's not a good thing or a bad thing. It's just a real thing. And sometimes it's a bad thing. Sometimes it's a good thing, but it's certainly a real thing. You know, you think about Wynwood. I mean, Wynwood alone. I mean, you know, it's like that place was a war zone, you know, what, oh, yeah, 20 yeah. years ago. And then old man Goldman had the vision. Like, you know what? I'm going to start putting art down here. And that and he knew he, he knew what was yeah, going to happen. Yeah. And now it's like fucking, you know, they're about to open like a world class, like music venue in the middle of it all and all this crazy shit. I mean, some of the stuff that's happened right now down there is crazy. But over in Hawaii, Jasper was like, screw it. And he had always, I think, was impressed with what Warren Brand did over here with the schools. And I think he took a little bit of influence from that. And he was able to go to this place called the Palama Settlement, which is kind of like over in the middle of the island. And it's just a general community center that's tied in with three elementary schools that all also hosted murals as well. 
in a community that's just, you know, pretty much by and large, you know, Asian immigrants that are, you know, pushed aside by, you know, a lot of the locals and local government. And just this huge, like, expanse of, like, courtyards and, like, you know, you can just, I mean, like, throughout the week, like, you know, older folks would be doing, you know, yoga and Tai Chi type stuff in the morning, kids swimming classes in the afternoon, and once school lot let out, it's like basically like a boys and girls club in the grand scheme of things. But, you know, just everything just drab and tan and blah and, you know, just like kind of, you know, drenched with like rust stains and shit like that. Just every at school, courtyards, all the same stuff. And Jasper put together, you know, 70 plus artists, um, like 40 international or 30 international, 40 local and like 60 some new murals over the course of like eight days. And I mean, walking around there now and the kids took part in just about every mural too, which is pretty special. They were like learning how to do fills and some of them were a little bit more advanced and, you know, being set off on other projects and stuff like that. And it was, I mean, and now it's like amazing to, to walk around and I can't imagine what that's going to do for their aspirations, you know, not to mention just mental state and uh, just, also just, you know, just the general, I think just thoughts of the community itself from the people that drive by and drive through it every day. Now they're actually going to slow down and check it out. And like when you drive through the main Hawaii uh, highway, there. Going into Waikiki, you, you go through that area, and it was just always kind of drabness. And now it's just like nothing but murals on both sides of the highway. And we were first driving in. Um, we got in a couple of days later since, like I had mentioned, Daniel got in earlier. Halo Pit got in earlier and was doing everything. So, like, Slick especially was already, like, well into his mural, which was, like, right on the outside of, like, the main uh, Coliseum-like area of the, the, one of the schools. And just epic to see, like, when you're driving in along the highway, you know. So, I mean, just a game changer. And, so, uh, no, it's, it's that, I mean, and he's already got plans for another school for next year, it sounds like. So, no, it was pretty special. Well, that story alone is sort of a reminder of why I often, you know, like to say that, you know, art at the end of the day, you know, art, well, it's magic, but it's soul food. You know what I mean? It's, it's spiritual product. It's a health and wellness product. And yes, you know, you can get into, go down the rabbit hole of collecting and, whatever. I, you know, I often joke that, you know, collecting art for economic reasons is a horrible decision because art is a horrible investment, you know, economically it's horrible, but it's such an important investment into your spiritual uh, health and well-being, right? Yeah. Appreciation is great, but I mean, I always tell people to buy it. I mean, you got to love it to buy it. I mean, you got to love it. You want to have it on your walls. Personally, I love to deal with people that, you know, have kids and are planning to pass it down to them. And yeah. So, I mean, the people that flip after two, three years, I mean, it's part of the machine. I get it. Right. And we deal with some people that whenever they flip, they're always buying something else. So, I mean, they're not necessarily flipping for the, you know, the, the fattening of the bank account. And that too, I get, you know, but I don't know. We just come from a mindset. I mean, my mom and dad were like big, or, or are big antique collectors and our house, their house, I should say, still is like, you know, floor to ceiling filled with shit. And I just grew up with that around us. So like when I had my, you know, own room, it was, you know, floor to ceiling kiss posters. And, you know, when I finally got my first apartment, it was like floor to ceiling, like kind of like beer mirrors and just stupid shit. And then it transitioned to, you know, Dolly and Mucha, you know, frame prints and this, that, and other thing. And, and now it's just like, I mean, you saw my one wall of my office, our entire house looks like that. Every time we buy a piece now, it's Sophie's Choice, something's got to come down. And you know, <laughs> we, we probably got just about as much in storage as we do up. But at the same time, I mean, we don't want to get rid of it because 
we kind of, you know, like what we were saying, it's our legacy and we kind of feel it like shows our, it's like our roadmap. It shows our growth as a collector. I mean, if anyone ever really wants to curate a special, you know, Herb and Dorothy type exhibit about, you know, Sean and I's crazy, you know, 30 year ride or whatever in the art world, I think it'll show like a really cool, you know, arc of, you know, how our tastes change and at the same time, you know, yeah. styles yeah. change and things like that. And I think you can almost map along with it the growth and the curatorial rhythm that Think Space has followed with our uh, buying habits. So, I mean, I mean, we're strictly like, if I'm not going to buy it, I'm not going to try to sell it to you. I've always been that way because people have been like, why don't you show so-and-so you could kill with that show? And it's just like, I don't like that art. I mean, nothing against so-and-so. Right. That's right. what makes art great is there's something for everybody, but I'm not going to just show something because I know I can sell it. I mean, and if I did that, we'd probably be driving Maseratis and have a lot bigger house right now. But with that said, we don't really care about either of those things. So maybe we would just have, you know, a lot of five by seven paintings, five by seven foot paintings instead of 16 by 20 inch paintings or something. <laughs> but no, I mean, I don't know. I mean, there's just a joy and a reward to working with artists that are a, a little bit more on the come up and, you know. Indeed. And I so appreciate your shout out to Herb and Dorothy, because I was going to say a minute ago, it's like you guys are like the the modern, like uh, a reincarnation of uh, Herb and Dorothy Vogel, who are just, you know, I just I always love their story and tell people to watch their documentary because oh, it's all the time. I mean, that's all you need to know. Just the love of the game going out. And, you know, of course, you guys, they, you know, my wife, you and your lady, I mean, you know, you share that addiction, that passion, Herb and Dorothy you know, shared that passion, you know, think maybe it's a good thing. My wife doesn't share the addiction because maybe exactly. <laughs> it saves money or something. I don't know because no, I can't get enough. You know, she's like, uh, stop, stop. I'm like, no, I can't. <laughs> no, Sean's definitely the Yang, the, the, the Yang that Elsie's and I's Yang because we'll, we'll just spend and go crazy. We, we're like the dreamers and she'll, she's the more realistic yeah. one, <clears throat> even with our collecting, like it's by and large been that, you know, She's always made sure the bills are paid, and I'm always, you know, buying the art. But at the same time, you know, she tells me when the breaks need to go on and behave right for a little on. bit and let things catch up or whatever. And, yeah, it's been a nice rhythm over the years. And, I mean, I got to say, I mean, for two folks that live a pretty simple life and, you know, never went to art school or when we had a, had a five-year plan, so to speak, when we opened the gallery or anything of that nature, it's kind of cool to see what we've built in terms of our own personal collection. It's special. I don't think, I mean, like I said, at least we get to leave something that you know will have our name under it somewhere for uh, hopefully a long time to come make people remember, remember us when they when they walk by us, so to speak a hundred percent i mean you know you guys our culture tends to be quite reductive and one-dimensional around these notions of wealth and what it means to be rich i mean you know in my view you know some people are so poor all they have is money you know the idea of being rich and having wealth, you know, is so much more than about money. And the fact that you guys have created such a fulfilling, meaningful life for yourself that is, by any measure, rich with love and passion and friends and family and art and color and shape and form. And then, you know, the, the way that allows you to feel like in the life you're leading matters and is making a difference. I mean, how, you know, how lucky are we to be able to at night lay our heads down and go like, yeah, you know what, like I'm using my time and I'm trying to make a difference, you know, and it's not just good for us, but it's good for the world. It's good for artists. And we're lucky SOBs, Andrew. 
Very lucky. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Well, man, I'm a lucky SOB because you took time out of your busy day to come and uh, chop it up with me, man. Thank you so much. Well, thanks for having me on. It was a good chat. Well, I tell you what, please come back. You know, you're always welcome. Open door policy. Any artist, any show you want to have them come on, just say the word. You know, and then one of these days we'll figure out when to break bread together. We'll go out and have some food and some drink. How's that? That'd be nice, man. Come on out to the dope show if you get a chance next week. I will. I will for sure. All four artists are going to be here, which is a rarity. Like Toya Meg from Japan is going to be here. Charlie Eimer, who's a local badass, is going to be here. Dope's coming in from Spain. And uh, Scent Rock will be in from Chicago. So, and Mr. Toledo's right a local and he'll be in the courtyard. So, and Mr. B Baby's painting live. So, it's going to be nasty. Right on. Right on. All right, my friend Andrew Hosner from Think Space Galleries. Thank you for coming on. And before we go, tell our listeners where they can find you guys online. On Instagram, we're at thinkspace underscore art and uh, thinkspaceprojects.com. On uh, the old uh, World Wide Web, underscore thinkspace art at Facebook. You heard it, people. Go look them up. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Not Real Art Podcast. Please make sure to like this episode, write a review, and share with your friends on social. Also, remember to subscribe so you get all of our new episodes. Not Real Art is produced by Crew West Studios in Los Angeles. Our theme music was created by Ricky Peugeot and Desi Deloro from the band Parlor Social. Not Real Art is created by We Edit Podcast and hosted by Captivate. Thanks again for listening to Not Real Art. We'll be back soon with another inspiring episode celebrating creative culture and the artists who make it.